You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who would like to point out that after today's show, you will forget everything else in your life. Here is the captain. Yeah, I'm pointing that out because we're all you need. We're all you need. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today, I am closing my eyes and pretending that I am sitting lakeside in Montana. That's because me and the captain are sipping on some sip and go naked by our friends at Tamarack Brewing Company. This is a super refreshing wheat ale with the perfect amount of apricot. Garage grade four and a half bottle caps out of five. And here's some solid folks that did us a solid. First up, cheers and thank you to Mia in beautiful Honolulu, Hawaii. And a big shout out to Cheryl in New Caney, Texas. Here's a double cheers, Captain, to our friends Todd and Carl working hard in Aspen Wall, Pennsylvania. And a big we like your jib to Jan in the beautiful parts unknown. Here's one, Captain. You know how I love to struggle to say the city names correctly. Uh-huh. So let's give this a try. Cheers to Tim and Orinoco, Minnesota. And last but certainly not least, we have a Dean all the way from over in Dublin, Ireland. Hey, happy St. Patrick's Day to you, everybody over there and everybody over here. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that, well, we thank you. Yeah, my my St. Patrick's Day song is B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run, beer run, B-W-E-R-R-U-N, beer run. For everything True Crime Garage, check us out at truecrimegarage.com. And make sure you listen to our bonus show called Off the Record. That's on Stitcher Premium. And all of our episodes are available everywhere. Everywhere you listen to podcasts. So check those out. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody. Gather around. Grab a chair. Grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. 
I tell you what, you had some involvement, maybe more hands-off than hands-on, I don't know, but you were at least the one that brought it to my attention that the 340 Zodiac Cipher, if I got that title right, was in the process of, of being solved and, and was in fact solved, what, 51 years later? You want to tell us a little bit of that story? Yeah, so the, the Zodiac's first cipher, 408, is 408 characters, was solved pretty quickly by the Hardens, a couple out of Salinas, California. But then the next cipher Zodiac sent, the 340, people thought, okay, the first one is easy enough, let's crack this one. And the uh, Navy, uh, CIA, people like that over the years, had no luck cracking it. And then a million so-called code breakers, you know, professional and amateur uh, developed programs and everything else trying to solve it. And and the issue was a lot of them went about trying to solve it by forcing things to fit in their words they expected to find, people's names they expected to find. They sort of went into it trying to solve it with a a preconceived notion of what should be in there and um, that's not the way, right way to uh, approach that. One of my friends, Dave Warrenchak, who runs who runs a good site about it and has a good YouTube channel about the ciphers, he's uh, been an expert and consulted on many programs and stuff for this specific topic. And he developed software along with a, a team that he put together, and they actually were able to come up with the correct solution you know, after looking at so many fake ones and, and false ones that people had presented over the years, you know, I think he was a little bit surprised when when what they found revealed some real words that weren't, you know, jammed in there. They just naturally fell into place. So once they tinkered a little bit more with it, uh, the message came out pretty clearly. And they sent the uh, results to the, the FBI, obviously, and, and they confirmed that they were right. It was a little bit... Uh, unearth moving the message that was actually there um I, I liken it to that scene out of a christmas story when ralphie gets the little decoder ring and it's be sure to drink your oval team <laughs> this was essentially something like that it was just very uneventful and um, not really much to it now based on the codes because it's one thing to make calls to police or write letters to police, but the to the level of sophistication jumps up significantly by adding codes and ciphers into the equation of Zodiac. Do you think that Zodiac had either just a higher level of IQ, or do you think he had some higher level of training or possibly higher education? Well, there's definitely some military connections and some of the clues. Uh, you know, there were Wingwalker boots found at the, you know, the Lake Berryessa crime scene or tracks there, and those were sold at PXs for the most part, designed to walk on the wings of planes for for airmen. Uh, so there's always been the possibility that Zodiac was military, and maybe because of that, he could have had training in code in, codes and ciphers in the military. But then again, a lot of the stuff that he used, some of the symbols specifically, were available in books that were available at the library as well. So I think it's it's possible that he could have just been an amateur who liked codes and ciphers, 
sort of like the Hardens that solved the first one. They, they, you know, they had an interest in in ciphers. He too could have had an interest, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he was an expert or trained in in ciphers. Zodiac screams Navy to me for whatever reason. I think it's I think it's partly the area, some of the things that you touched on, the astrology angle of it and you said wing walker boots but i don't know about 1968 1969 i'm assuming so but the navy has more planes than any other branch of the military so um it screams navy if in fact he does that have that type of background the while we're on the topic of communications i wanted to check in with you mike about the melvin belli communications there were some phone calls and a um, at least one letter or postcard sent to Melvin Belli he was an attorney in the area at the time and, and a pretty famous one at that what are your feelings I know that one of the communications received by Belli contained an additional piece of Paul Stein's bloody shirt so we know that at least that one is authentic but we also have the situation of Belli sitting on a morning talk show talking to somebody on the phone who calls himself Sam claiming to be responsible or at least calling in under the guise that he is the Zodiac. And that seems to likely have been not the case that the caller calling himself Sam was not the Zodiac. I don't know if was that person identified. I know that that phone call on the talk show was traced to a, uh, uh, I believe a mental institution. Yeah, he was he was identified. His name was Eric Wheel, and he was in that in that mental institution. But the the way this started was someone called into uh, the Jim Dunbar show, which was a local San Francisco TV show, and claimed they were the Zodiac, and they wanted to speak to attorney F. Lee Bailey, who was pretty well known at the time and he wasn't available. So they said, would you settle for Melvin Belli? And, and they agreed to that. So essentially the TV show said, Hey, keep the airwaves open. Someone claiming to be the Zodiac is calling in and they're going to be speaking with Melvin Belli on the show. Well, lo and behold, the call comes back in once they're, they're rolling and it's this guy, Eric wheel from this mental institution he turns out not to be the Zodiac, but it seems like that conversation is where the interest in Melvin Belli starts for Zodiac. Um, in fact, the Saul 340 cipher basically said it wasn't me that called into the TV show. So that, you know, 50 years to find out something we already knew. But it, it's just interesting. That's where he decided to start communicating with, with Melvin Belli and sort of uh, Melvin Belli was open to communicating back. Yeah, I always found the caller Sam to you know to sound uh, weak or vulnerable, and I don't think the Zodiac would come off like that. Just like in the one call when he when he calls police and he ends with or uh, something to the effect of like "Okay, bye now," you know, and it's very like yeah, Joker like or like the Riddler. Yeah, and they had. At the time, there were three people known to have heard Zodiac's voice for sure, and that was the um, the person that took the phone call, the dispatcher in Vallejo, Nancy Slover. There was also the uh, sheriff's deputy in Napa, 
that that took the call there. And then you had finally uh, survivor Brian Hartnell from Lake Berryessa. Uh, and they all sat together and listened for who knows how long, just over and over to that audio of the morning show. And they all confirmed that it was not the voice they heard. It wasn't Zodiac's voice. On December 18th, 1969, supposedly Zodiac's on the phone with Melvin Belli's housekeeper or somebody working at Melvin's home and they have a nice I guess casual conversation between the two and later she tells Melvin that the caller claiming to be the Zodiac said that today's my birthday again we we've talked about we know on several occasions Zodiac has been a liar and we've also said maybe he's really putting in strong attempts at misdirection towards the the investigation itself but I just found that fascinating that uh, we have this conversation and my notes say December 18th, 1969. He says, today's my birthday. Any thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, some of that, I don't know. Some of that conversation is not 100% verified. Um, I, I think part of it comes from Robert Graysmith's claims in his book that that's how the conversation went and that's the date. That book was pretty much uh, an attempt steering the the conversation towards his favorite suspect who happened to have that that birthday December 18th so but I don't know that that's actually confirmed to be uh, accurate as far as what was said and and uh, verified you're exactly right it's page 324 in Zodiac Unmasked where he says that that conversation took place saying that today's my birthday or today was his birthday and of course we know anybody that's followed Zodiac long enough that Arthur Lee Allen was born December 18th, 1933. One thing that I found fascinating, and again, I know we know that one one communication to Belli is authentic based off of the Paul Stein bloody shirt, but I, I found this to be a, a bizarre coincidence that that is also the, the birthday of ed kemper and on that day we know that ed Kemper's not the zodiac because he he was locked up until his 21st birthday but uh i found it fascinating that on that day is the day that he another infamous notorious serial killer is being released on that same day back into the public to kill again. And here we have a conversation that may have happened between Zodiac and somebody saying today's my birthday. That's pretty interesting. I didn't even know that was Ed Kemper's birthday. Let's talk about some of the other possible victims because somebody that's always been linked and really tied to the Zodiac case as a possible, you know, extra victim outside of the confirmed five, but maybe even possibly the first victim would be Sherry Joe Bates, who was killed October 30th, 1966. Now, from my understanding, Mike, and correct me if I'm wrong, the way that we kind of start linking this is that it sounds like somebody maybe in Riverside or somebody that had knowledge of Sherry Joe Bates's case and in, in even the communications that followed her murder, that they tried to suggest to the local police, the Riverside police, that that this is a possible Zodiac connection. And when they shrugged him off, he then gets Paul Avery and notify, notifies uh, Paul Avery that, hey, there's 
Zodiac may have struck first back in October of 1966 in Riverside. Yeah, to me, Sherry uh, Sherry's case is probably the most important piece of the Zodiac puzzle because I think if if we can verify with certainty that Zodiac was there in Riverside during that time, we would we would definitely shrink down the the possible suspects and, and persons of interest. You know, just to sort of briefly walk through it, I'm sure you guys are, are really detailing this too. She was killed outside the, the library, the library she attended. She had gone there for some books and she went in and her car was disabled while she was inside. Interestingly enough, and a lot of people aren't aware of this, but, you know, she was stabbed. She was slashed. Um, after Lake Berryessa, um, the Riverside police reached out to Napa Sheriff's Department and said, hey, we had a stabbing uh, attack here in 1966, and they sort of wanted to compare notes. And I, I don't really know why, because it wasn't a very similar case, I didn't think, in my opinion, but they, they did reach out. And a lot of people don't know that. But what's interesting is 30 days after Sherry was murdered, you know, you've got this typed confession letter that's mailed to Riverside Police um, from someone claiming to be her killer. And what's interesting is, you know, the memos from the Riverside Police Department, as well as the FBI, FBI reports, dictate, uh, quote, the letter writer had details only the killer would know. So they're they're thinking whoever sent this confession letter early on is is definitely Sherry's killer. Uh, and that the details of disabling her car were not published in the paper, that her coil wire had been pulled. So when she tried to start her car, it wasn't, um, it wouldn't start. But it, it's it's not true. Within two days, local papers published that her her middle wire had been pulled, and the confession the confession letter uh, author uh, wrote that he pulled the middle wire. So at the very least, we know that the letter writer in the Bates case, whether it's Zodiac. Uh, killed her or not, the letter writer um, could have learned these details from the newspaper to include in the, the confession letter. And then after that, of course, there's more letters and more correspondence down there. And and that's sort of how the Cherry Joe Bates connection gets rolling. Yeah, because looking at that case, it looks like not only did the letter writer send something to Riverside Police Headquarters, but also the the press enterprise, uh, which would be an office there. And I, and I believe that something was sent to her father as well. And I find that to be interesting. I don't know if all three were mailed at the same time, but if so, that kind of, well, that, that really echoes what took place in July 31st of 1969, when we know that the Zodiac was in San Francisco because he dropped three, envelopes into a mailbox and mailed them to the the sf examiner the chronicle and the vallejo times yeah absolutely and you know that confession letter came on the one month anniversary the three letters you just mentioned came on the six month anniversary and and you know as you mentioned one went to the police one went to the newspaper one went to sherry's dad which is sort of out of the play you know zodiac playbook and these letters, you can find them online for anyone that's listening that wants to, to find them. There's, there's, they're hand-scrawled. They're very messy. Someone obviously went through trouble trying to disguise their, their writing. 
but there's a little Z-like symbol at the bottom. It's hard to argue that it's anything else, but, you know, it looks like a Z. So you've got that as well. But what happened is, you know, when the Zodiac murders started making headlines in Southern California, there's a man named Phil Sins, and he started saying, wow, this is Zodiac letters. These sound just like the Sherry Joe Bates murder uh, letters here um, early on. And he kept going to the Riverside police saying, you need to look into the Zodiac connection. Maybe Zodiac struck here first in October and, and killed Sherry, but they kept rebuffing him. But eventually, they again, they did send out that uh, memo to Napa in 1969. And I, I think it was probably w- with a little bit of pressure from Mr. Sins continually badgering them to check this link out. And when that failed, Paul Avery got his Halloween card from Zodiac in October 1970, and that made headlines. So Phil Sins decided to go to him and tell him to investigate the Bates connection. And that's how that connection officially started. So in the Bates case, you have the letters, and one of them um, says something like, Bates had to die, there will be more, and then again signed with a, what most people would consider to be a Z. There are a few that will argue maybe it's a it's the number two rather than the letter Z. I think it, I think it strongly, much more strongly looks like the letter Z. One thing I found fascinating in, in that case, and a bit weird too, and the captain earlier Reference the the genesis. Uh, you know, where did the the name Zodiac come from? Not for us as the public, but for the killer himself. What? Where does he pull this name from? And if we know one thing about the Zodiac is he enjoys taking credit, so to speak, for his crimes. He he wants police and the public to know of the crimes he did so much so that he has even tried to make us believe that he's committed some other murders uh, even after the Paul Stein murder. But one thing I always found, uh, and, and this is, is quite trite compared to the, the ciphers, the sophisticated ciphers he sent le- later, but with the, in the Bates case, there was an inscription that was left at the Riverside college library. And that was the same library that she the Bates attended the night that she was killed. They found this later. I believe it was discovered the following year in 1967, where somebody left like a, a poem that they had uh, inscribed on this desktop. And at the end, they signed it RH. And again, this is, is very simplistic compared to the ciphers later, but if they did start connecting this RH might be a little too close to home for our killer. And then later when he reaches out, he signs it Z. Well, I mean, R is the 18th letter. H is the eighth letter together. That's the, that's 26. Z is the 26th letter is, is RH to the Z to the Zodiac, the Genesis of this name. Yeah, that that's definitely an interesting theory. I hadn't heard that one of R R and H equaling 26. I know they they poured through lots of people with those initials, obviously, looking for any RHs that that could have written that poem. And, and that poem, I should point out, was uh, found by Sherwood Morrill, who was the state's top handwriting expert. That was found to match the other Bates letters and envelopes and the Zodiac letters and envelopes. So 
um, if you follow that link and, and you believe that the same author authored all of that stuff, then we've got Zodiac in that library. And, and that's an important clue, you know, obviously because you've got, again, suspects and persons of interest that were there at that time that would definitely shrink the pool. Um, and and there's some some key things you can see in some of those letters in 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 the Bates case. Uh, you know, I'm not a documents examiner. I'm not a handwriting expert. He, you know, Sherwood Morrill concluded that they were the same author. But what I see is uh, clues in the writing itself as far as words and terms. Uh, I'll give you an example in the confession letter. In 1966, the author wrote, She squirmed and shook as I choked her. Her lips twitched. The author in that letter misspelled twitched as T-W-I-C-H-E-D. In a July 1970 Zodiac letter, uh, Zodiac wrote, Watch them scream and twitch and squirm. Zodiac also misspelled twitch the same incorrect way. So you've got someone using the words twitch and squirm uh, in the same sentence four years apart. Uh, it's just, you take that plus the, the writing expert already saying the writing is the same. I think it's hard to ignore that. And just one more word choice or phrase choice. Confession letter included a line, I plunged the knife into her. And Zodiac used that uh, similar line in 1974. He plunged himself into the billowy grave. So I think, you know, I think he's so subconsciously drawing on some words and phrases in his natural writing that came through and happened to link not just the handwriting is a match, but his choice of words and phrases. It makes it hard to think that there that that could be anyone else but Zodiac. So for me, I really focus in on on Riverside 1966 to 1967 and. I bet my house that whoever uh, Zodiac was, he lived in Riverside in 66 to 67. But to be clear, does not necessarily have to be the murderer of Sherry Jo Bates. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely correct. You know, whether I'm sort of on the fence, whether, whether he killed her or not. And, and we don't know what's going on behind the scenes and in, in the investigation. I know there's DNA. There was uh, some cigarette butts found. Uh, there was hair with some tissue on it found in, in Sherry's hand. And, and Riverside, for, for 50 years, has had a favorite suspect that they refused to let go of, despite the DNA evidence ruling him out. Um, but they've they've ignored any possible Zodiac connection to her case because they felt it they felt it was a uh, it sidetracked the investigation, and they sort of refused to to accept that there could be some connection, even if it's just the writing and that he didn't actually kill her. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age 
or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I 
am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And I thought that the Riverside police, they did a hell of a job investigating the Bates murder. It's not like they, you know, ran out of ideas a day or two later. They were reconstructing the crime. They were asking for people that were there that night to come and and position themselves and their vehicles where they were during the time in question. The other bizarre thing about her murder is we know the library where she was she was that night closed at 9 p.m. That would be their traditional hours, and it's it's assumed, or at least we have some witnesses to say that she would have left at closing time. But it's believed that that there were ear witnesses to her attack, and those people placed the attack as going down in the 10 o'clock hour, early on in the 10 o'clock hour. So it's. You know, how long between her discovering her vehicle is inoperable to the Zodiac or or whoever killed her, luring her away from the vehicle and then attacking her in that uh, that alley, if you will. Yeah, it's a very good point, because I, I personally think an 18 year old girl isn't going to walk down an alley and hang out, talk to them for an hour at a time, you know, worth of time if she didn't have some kind of comfort, maybe the similar age. Maybe she knew him, even if not you know, well, maybe she knew him uh, casually. I, I think if that's the case and she spent a good amount of time with them down in that dark alley, it's safe to say it's not some creepy looking stranger, in, in, in my opinion. But what's interesting about that scream and the time it was heard, that weekend happened to be daylight savings time and you set the clocks back. I, I, I don't know this and, and I've never been able to find any documentation of this. I wonder if somehow the person hadn't set their clock back from the night before and it was really nine o'clock. And when they looked at their clock, it was 10 o'clock on their clock and, and that it really, the screen came at around nine o'clock. So I think that's open uh, for, for debate there. And with that case, as you said, as far as evidence goes and finding the, the killer of Sherry Joe Bates, she put up a hell of a fight. She clawed the shit out of the, her attacker. And it, it, you know, we have the attacker's skin and such under her fingernails and, and maybe even some of his hair as well. I'm hoping and praying that that was preserved in a manner that we could still use it today or very soon to find uh, Sherry Joe Bates murder. Yeah, there's no doubt she she put up a fight and she actually ripped wristwatch off of her attacker too. Uh, it was a men's size seven, if I remember correctly. And the watch itself was purchased at a military base, possibly in England, if I recall correctly. 
So again, we get back to the possibility is Zodiac military in, in some fashion. You say England, and I find that to be very interesting because on the Melvin Belli Christmas communication from Zodiac, he says, I want to wish you a happy Christmas, which I associate that with with English people where I, I feel like Americans go to, to Merry Christmas. Are we dealing with uh, with a guy <laughs> from overseas or or, uh, or or what? Well, he could have just been stationed overseas. And to your point, Zodiac used the word shall. I don't know how many times I shall do this, I shall do that. I don't know in my lifetime, other than talking about this case, that I ever use that word. It's just not something that we use here in the United States. But Zodiac frequently used that word in his his writings. Um, so, as did the the Riverside writer, assuming they're one and the same, in the confession letter, that word was used as well. So, it's interesting to, you know, is there some kind of connection to London, uh, or England, I should say, the UK? Or is it just maybe they've learned it because they spent time there, or and maybe in some of their movies or books, going back to the the fantasy uh, and the theatrical stuff, are they using that word because they've heard it in in some of the art stuff that they've they've taken in? Uh, so that's an interesting thing that that people have pondered uh, over the last you know five decades. Mike, do you have like a top three suspects, or what what does your suspect pool look like? Um, you know. There's, I could start some names real quick that are the most common ones, and people can find a million things on them. But Rick Marshall, he he was an older guy that ran a projection uh, machine in a theater in San Francisco. He was a little bit shady at a a couple IDs he used. Larry Kane is a name that gets thrown out there left and right. It's not not in my book. I don't think he's a good suspect. Richard Gajkowski is someone whose name is out there. And these are names that are presented for a variety of different reasons. Obviously, the top one that's out there is Arthur Lee Allen. He's been looked at by everyone under the sun. He, you know, when search warrants were executed on his home, they didn't find any of the weapons. His handwriting didn't match. His fingerprints didn't match the um, print on Stein's cab. One of the Zodiac letters had a palm print on it. His Palm print didn't match that. So in my opinion, he's ruled out every which way. But, you know, from an interesting standpoint, there was a guy in Robert Graysmith's book, actually, who called himself Zodiac, and he lived in San Bernardino in 1964 to 1965. I I had to check that out. I I knew his name. I I found out his name, and I said, I've got to call this guy and actually see if he really called himself Zodiac. Because my thinking is, you know, he's right down there in San Bernardino, which is next to Riverside. He's calling himself Zodiac in 1964 to 1965. You know, this guy's either going to tell me to screw off or he's going to, you know, fill me in. And sure enough, this guy, I talked to him and I talked to him for hours. He admitted he called himself Zodiac in 64, 65. He was picked on. He, he, by most accounts, he'd be an odd person, someone that probably fit the profile. He lived with his parents he told me he never had a date. As he's telling me all this, I'm saying, wow, this guy really he <laughs> checks a lot of boxes. But the thing was, he was never up in the San Francisco Bay Area. 
And, you know, just after talking to him, I knew that he was harmless. But had he lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, he probably would have been on a lot of radars because he checked so many boxes. But I always wondered if could one of his friends or one of his schoolmates use that name Zodiac and stole that moniker from him? A little bit of a side note, he was interested in Melvin Belli as well, and he uh, attended a little junior law college uh, down in that area. And Melvin Belli came in, and it's it's in the, the Graysmith book. He tells the story, and there's undercover police there, and they actually confronted this kid and said, is it true that you used to call yourself Zodiac? And, um, you know, he's shit in his pants, basically you know, squirming around. He's like, no. And they checked this guy out. Police are aware of him. He wasn't Zodiac, but just that interesting tidbit. It was someone that interested me uh, because someone I think could have stolen his persona, but the, the best suspect I found personally um, is a guy named Ross Sullivan because he can be placed. He's the only person ever named publicly that we know with 100% certainty was in the Riverside library because he worked there as a volunteer and he was a, he was a student there. Yeah. So he would be a great Zodiac suspect, but also primarily Sherry Joe Bates murder suspect. Yeah. Um, he, obviously he's there. He, you know, he has the location, uh, we can put him there and, and his name was thrown out on an old Google form years ago. I'm, I'm going back like 20 years ago when the internet first started and, uh, you know, I've seen this name and I, I basically had some of the police reports and I base I went down every name that I could find and ran through and checked and cross referenced to see who was in what area and how they were rolled out. And then I came across this Ross Sullivan guy and I said, I've got to find more on this guy because there was really nothing about him. And then the first thing I found was a sketch uh, that he uh, a picture from a yearbook of him. And I, I couldn't believe my eyes. He's like a dead ringer for the, the Zodiac sketch. So the fact he was in the Riverside library really caught my attention. And the librarians in the library wrote this like three page letter of why they su- suspected him of, of killing Sherry Joe Bates and how weird he was and how creepy he was. He liked to write poetry so he really got got me going as far as interest in the suspect. Well, and that also could be one of the reasons why the Zodiac became a Lover's Lane killer, because if that was his first, if that was his first victim, that would have been all the mistakes that he would have made during the attack. He he would have learned that you can't. Uh, commit a crime like that if if you want to not get caught yeah definitely and 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 when we researched sullivan a little bit more we found out he had been in and out of mental health institutes institutions um his brother married sherry joe bates best friend so we start looking at these little things these little connections we already have the librarians suspecting him he transferred to Santa Cruz University in 1967, right after the last Bates letter was mailed in Riverside. So all the stuff as far as this timeline adds up. And then we, we've got him ma- matching that criteria, meeting that criteria. And we were able to find out through additional research uh, that 
he had checked out books on cryptography at the library. He had some training with that. So he checked a lot of boxes. And and one thing that's interesting as well is that in 1977, he died. And his on his death certificate, it's listed, how long have you lived in Santa Cruz? And it said three years. And that goes back to 1974 when the Zodiac letters were last received. So, and then we can place him in Santa Cruz in 1968, early 68, and we can place him in Santa Cruz in 1977, and then three years prior to 1974. The the time frame where he gets lost, and we don't have any idea where he was and any con- confirmed addresses, it happens to coincide with the Zodiac crimes. Well, and with Arthur Lee Allen, I believe he died in 92. So that's a long period. You say the last known letters were in 74. That's a long time for the Zodiac to be, if it's Arthur Lee Allen, to be alive and not making any contact at all. It'd make more sense that, okay, well, there's this three-year gap and then the guy passed away. Yeah, and some people say that the reason why the letter stopped in 1974 is because Zodiac went to jail or he died or he moved, or maybe he just outgrew whatever is driving him to write these letters. Um, we really don't know, but we do know that the last confirmed Zodiac letter was received in, in 1974. What I find interesting about the Zodiac in comparison to a lot of other serial killers in a way that he seems to differ from them is that a lot of times we have serial killers that they – they spiral out of control or they get lazy or overconfident that they'll never get caught. And here we have the opposite with the Zodiac, where it seems to to be the case where he was so worried about getting caught that he didn't have to be impulsive about his kills and did not have to continue to kill. The, the need for him to stay a free man and not get caught took, you know, took over the the whatever was driving him to kill where with these other serial killers the 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 addiction to murder is their their un you know their their downfall and their undoing yeah and i don't know that that zodiac was a master criminal i think he was sloppy at times i think he um was took risks um and, you know just striking and leaving multiple witnesses alive um, writing a message on a door when someone could drive by uh, as he's, you know, parked there doing this message on Brian Hartnell's door being seen and witnessed by kids from across the street after he shot Paul Stein. He, he definitely slipped up and made some mistakes. I mean, he, if you believe Don Falk passed him while he was on patrol, um, that story, uh, after Stein was shot, then he could have easily been apprehended. But, you know, an in- incorrect description of the suspect uh, went out. They were looking for a black male. And here they drive by this stocky guy with glasses and a crew cut, and they're looking for a black male. And, you know, a minute later, it's corrected. They spin around to go back and, and find him, and he's gone. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't seem like he's a master criminal. I think he could have been caught, and, and luck was on the side. Do you think the incident involving... Kathleen Jones is in fact a Zodiac incident. Uh, she changed her story um, 
multiple times. It's it's interesting. That's what I found as well. It's I mean, it's portrayed one way, of course, in the movie, and the story's told different ways throughout the the decades. But uh, just to fill everybody in, we're talking about the the woman that says that she was tricked into Zodiac's car with her and her baby. And uh, she becomes terrified of the man who's supposed to be driving her to the service station. Yeah. And I mean, we have, as in the Sergio Bates case, we have a disabling of the car. So it has that going for it. We also have her driving north from San Bernardino up towards the Bay Area, which is right next to Riverside. The person that attacked her, she claims, drove up from behind her. So they were also coming from that way. So if there's some kind of. Riverside to Bay Area connection that sort of works in, in the favor. But I, I think what we have to remember is, again, there's a lot of lot of bad guys down there doing a lot of bad stuff um, during that time. And the only reason this was even linked to Zodiac is because when she got to the police station, she saw Zodiac sketch the composite on the wall that had been passed around to every uh, agency in California. And she said, oh, my God, I think that's the guy that kidnapped me. Well, I hate to keep on bringing up Arthur Lee, but there's been so many documentaries about the Zodiac or just about Arthur Lee. But wasn't he a pedo? Yeah, he had been busted for uh, messing around with, with some kids in, in uh, I think, one of the schools, uh, possibly, and one of his friends. In, in fact, the, the person that first brought him to the attention of the police and, and came up with a story of how Alan supposedly said, I'm going to kill people and I'm going to call myself the Zodiac before the Zodiac crimes. It, it's been alleged that that person's daughter was molested by, by Alan. So that would certainly give them a reason to want to see him uh, have some trouble with the police. That could be a, re- a motive for that person to go forward and say, Hey, Arthur Lee Allen told me this story because he's messed with his daughter. And in regards to Allen, what about the uh, the speeding ticket that he gets up near Lake Berryessa on the day of the attack? Yeah, that was one thing that placed him there. Also uh, reports that he was fishing up there uh, or scuba diving. He had gone to that area before, so he, he did travel to that area. A very popular spot for a lot of people in the Bay Area. A lot of wildlife and uh, a big lake, a deep lake. So he definitely had connections to being there. And and as far as other things that we talked about, you know, he lived at home with his mom. He wore a, a, a watch, a Zodiac brand watch with the Crosshair logo on it. After a while, he knew he was being investigated for the Zodiac crimes. And I personally wonder if he got some kind of pleasure out of being sort of chased, even though he knew he didn't commit the crimes Uh, because what a way to mess with the police knowing that they can't, they can't convict you because you haven't killed anyone. But you know, if you want to mess with the police, what a better way to do it. Yeah. I believe he was identified by one of the survivors. My problem with him is he doesn't pass the eyeball test for me. That's one of the, the, the most troubling things in this case. I mean, if you look at across the board, the the views, you start with Mike Mijot at uh, Blue Rock Springs. Obviously, he's got a light being shined in his eyes while he's being shot at. He only saw like a, a peripheral or a side view. He gave the best description he could, but you, we don't know how accurate that is. And then you go to Lake Berryessa. He's wearing a hood the entire time. Although... 
interestingly enough, um, one of the EMTs tending to uh, Cecilia said said in the police report that Cecilia told told her that before he as he put the hood on before he attacked them she saw him and he was wearing glasses underneath the hood so that's one item in there that he appeared to have glasses on underneath the hood and then of course there were clip-on glasses on top of the hood and then to confuse things there was another person seen at Lake Berryessa that day that police were never able to identify. It was a stocky, younger-looking guy that was described by some girls that were sunbathing as watching them. And he was wearing the same general clothing that Zodiac was wearing, although he looked, um, you know, again, his, he had darker hair, no glasses. Um, he didn't look uh, like the description of Zodiac. And then you finally get to the the sketch of the Stein killer Zodiac. And he looks nothing like any of the earlier reports would have you look at. So it's hard to say which one is probably the best, but I'd have to go with the best description is the one where they saw him from across the street after the Stein murder. It's never been clearly stated how that sketch came to be. If it was a combination of the the kids that uh, saw the, the crime unfolding, or if it was, had something to do with, Officer Falk, uh, you know, describing what he had seen. Um, but again, you have the two amended versions of, of that Zodiac sketch following Stein's killing, and and they look nothing like the earlier descriptions of Zodiac. How optimistic are you that we solve the Zodiac case? How optimistic are you that we solve the Sherry Joe Bates case if, in fact, the two are not connected? If you had asked me about either case... A year ago, two years ago, I wouldn't have been optimistic. Based on some developments and things that are going on behind the scenes, I feel more confident now than ever that both cases, maybe in uh, in the near future, could be solved. Whether they're independent of each other or whether they're you know they're solved together, um, you know, is it remains to be seen. Because again. I hate to speak ill of the police, but uh, as good a job as they did early on in, in Sherry's case, holding that reenactment, trying to line up things, they really put blinders on for the last five decades and, and zoned in on this one guy, despite DNA ruling him out. And I just feel they, they dropped the ball in her case, especially. And only recently, maybe because of pressure and, and seeing success with so many old cases, Maybe they're going to go down that genealogy road and and try that. And we still don't know. Police have, have always discounted in Riverside that Zodiac was even involved. So we don't know if there's any prints or DNA or anything somehow that matches Zodiac. We don't know if, if, if these cases are being worked together or independent of each other. Was there anything off the top of your head that you think we're missing or we're leaving out? I was going to say, there are some interesting things about Lake Herman Road in particular that that we can discuss real quick. Definitely. The night of uh, December 20th, for being a secluded Lover's Lane area, there were a lot of witnesses that night. A lot of people drove by and saw, you know, Dave and Betty there at the spot before the, the murders happened. They constructed a good timeline. They were able to identify all these witnesses, build a timeline, 
check their t- their clocks even to see if they were accurate and 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 gelled with each other. And and essentially what you have is you have a witness named James Owen passing the crime scene at eleven fourteen on his way to work at Humble Oil. In in the Graysmith book, he actually misread the report and said that Owen was on his way home from from Humble Oil, but the, it was the reverse. He was heading to uh, Humble Oil. And his light shined in that scene and he saw David Faraday's car and he saw a car next to it. He didn't see any people in or around the cars. And he went to work. And then six minutes later, we have a woman named Stella Borges who is traveling. She just left her house. She's traveling from Vallejo to Benicia. So the turnout where the shootings occurred, her light shine and she immediately sees two bodies there. So we have a six minute window of when this happened. And the last witness, James Owen, he is the one that sees a car next to, next to David Faraday's. And based on that, you know, he's the last known person to see the scene before the bodies were found. Do you call into question his account or just pinpointing down to almost the minute of the attack itself? Oh, I, I actually had some trouble with Owen's statements. Um, the next morning when he got off his shift, he's heading back home. He drives by the crime scene. He sees they're still out there working the scene, chalk outlines of the, the bodies on the ground. And he pulls over and tells the police, hey, I, I drove by uh, last night on my way here, and I saw this Rambler car here and this car next to it i couldn't really make anything out i didn't see any people around in or out of the cars he says the cars were about 10 feet apart and while he's there just nine hours after the shooting he never mentions hearing any gunshots well he he was questioned three days later on december 24th and his story changed Um, he told police that the cars were not 10 feet apart but this time he says they're three to four feet apart and then you know perhaps more importantly now he mentions that he thinks he heard a gunshot about a quarter mile down the road after he passed the scene. And, and to me, I'm like, wouldn't you remember it? Wouldn't that be the thing that stuck up the most in your memory nine hours after the attack rather than three days later? Um, so I've had some some issues with his statements. Again, I'm, I don't want to be accusatory of him. But early on, I did have some some suspicion about some of the things that he mentioned not being uh, not being accurate. Well, we often see with witnesses turned suspects that sometimes they put them, place themselves at the scene of the crime, and for unknown reasons, some, sometimes because they think someone may have seen them there or their vehicle in the area for whatever reason, and, and that's certainly an interesting, lesser-known portion of the Zodiac case. All right, Mike Morford, we truly appreciate you joining us here in the garage today and offering all of your expertise and everything that is the Zodiac Killer. Is there anything, any projects you're working on, anything you want to promote while you're here? Where can the listeners find you? Well, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at True Crime Guy. Also, you know, podcast-wise, you mentioned him earlier, Criminology is, is one a lot of people know me from. I also host The Murder of My Family, and, you know, we have a common friend, Jess Betancourt. I work with her on a couple different podcasts, um, you know, Scene of the Crime, 
which you guys have talked Delphi and mentioned the show. I appreciate that. We also do DNA ID together um, and missing persons. So I'm, I'm pretty active and pretty all over the place. And as timing would have it, since we're talking Zodiac, uh, I am launching a brand new podcast called Zodiac Speaking, and that releases March 13th. And that's all about the Zodiac. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Mike. It's been a pleasure. Good luck on the all of the projects you continue to work on, but the the new Zodiac podcast as well. Uh, thank you. It was good talking with you guys. And anytime, I'm, I'm happy to talk shop with you. Some fascinating stuff about the Zodiac. Can't wait to check out Mike's new podcast. When it comes out, we'll make sure that we'll post it on social media. So make sure you're following us at True Crime Garage on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. And join us back here next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.